This is the A to Z podcast. I'm Zach Jackson. He's Andre Knott. At Akron Jackson, at Dre Knott on most of your favorite social media platforms. We're at A to Z podcast.com, Facebook.com slash A to Z podcast. Shouts, as always, to Scene, to the Honeymoon Grill, and to American Fireworks for helping to make this thing happen. Andre, this is the Super Bowl edition of the podcast. Yeah. Can you confirm that for me? I can. There's going to be a game played, Miami and all that stuff. Both teams will have uniforms. It'll be great. And I'm sure because it's Northeast Ohio, there'll be about four or five, six different guys that we'll watch on Sunday that everybody will go, Didn't, wasn't he in Cleveland? or Does he live in Cleveland? Or <laughs> did he play for the Browns and they cut him? It always happens, and it will on Sunday. Yeah, you know, I actually um, will stick with our little American Fireworks Glory Days theme here, two things. I actually wanted to write a story about Travis Kelsey's uh, high school basketball career around the yes. Super Bowl. Um, but, you know, obviously – the Browns have made this the longest month ever, so uh, that has. Uh, um, well, think you could do him. I mean, and this is off the top of my head. You could do the Raheem Mozart kid because he was in Cleveland. Just his story is unbelievable, and he's married to a Cleveland girl. And I want to say he still like lived in Westlake. Like his story is really cool. The Shanahan's part of it is is what it is. You can go to uh, the Tyron Matthew story is great, even though he's got no Cleveland connection, but the LSU connection and just how he goes from being the Honey Badger. And having just his life crumble to becoming this guy, everybody says it's a stand-up dude. There's a Frank Clark element to the uh, to the Super Bowl, uh, being a Glenville kid and all this some of the stuff he's gone through. Um, there's all kinds of stories that are better there, but like you said, in our town, it's hard to get to the depths of the real stories because there's always something going on in Berea. Yeah. So, um, what comes to mind? Let's let's play some Glory Days, sponsored by American uh, Fireworks, as always. If I say a Super Bowl that takes you back, whether it, it could be recent, it could uh, be the first one you remember. Yeah, I mean, first couple of things that come up to my head are, are pretty uh, – I know I've brought it up on the podcast before, but the first Super Bowl that comes to my mind, and I remember a lot more, but it would be Marcus Allen zigzagging back and forth um, against the Washington Redskins. And I want to say that was like 83 – um, I could be off, you know, a year or two. It's right around then. But yeah, yeah, yeah I, that one just jumps out to me because um, it's just one of the first ones I remember. I was only five, six years old. But Marcus Allen became my favorite player. Thirty-two became like my favorite number. Um, I think they were the Oakland. They may have been the Oakland. They were. They were. LA, they may have been the L.A. Raiders in this. In that, it doesn't matter. But it kind of plays into they won't be whatever the hell they were last year. Uh, the next time they play a football game. <laughs> Um, so I remember that one. I remember the Dolphins versus the 49ers in Joe Montana only because I had the chicken pox. And I remember my family was they, like, was all going to have a party. And I remember like they, they like put all the sick kids <laughs> like in one house and made one parent stay with them. And then everybody else in our family went to another house to watch the game. I'll never forget that. Like so those are just too quick ones that go to my mind. It was like, we're still having this party and we're still watching the Super Bowl. We're just putting all the sick kids at one house, and, and everybody else is going to go somewhere where it's not. There's no sick people. So somewhere in my parents' house is a picture of a young Zach, five or six years old, bright blonde hair, mushroom cut, um, oh. wearing a tiny Dan Marino jersey. And that one you mentioned is the first one I remember. So I obviously don't remember the game. I remember it coming on. You know, uh, I probably was asleep. Before halftime, right. I think they probably started then before they do now. I don't know. Like, <laughs> you know, um, I remember being a little kid and really being too sick to pay attention to the Broncos games of the Super right. Bowl after right. they beat the Browns, you know? Um, yeah. 
I do remember the comeback, the Niners over the Bengals. I do remember that. Uh, and then, of course, later on, like in high school, so so late 90s, um, you know, there would always be a party. I remember that. You're right. And I remember Elway, you know, finally winning one and the mixed feelings you had about that. But at that point, like, you know, I probably remember that more from NFL films and from ESPN than from watching it because I was into whatever socially I thought I was cool about at that time, you know. Right, right, right. Now, I can say, you know, it's funny you bring up the, the Denver Broncos part of this. Um, because you're right, it would, they became part of the AFC championship game every year, along with the Browns, it seems, for like five years straight. I literally, it wasn't five years straight. It just felt that way. Um, and I can remember the Doug Williams game where Doug Williams came back uh, and he threw like four touchdowns in the second quarter and, you know, had a bad tooth, had a bad uh, knee, and, he, you know, comes the first black quarterback to win a Super Bowl. I remember it because I was with my cousin and I was at my aunt's house and we didn't even care about the Super Bowl because Denver had beat you know, Denver beat the Browns, and it was, like, soul-crushing. And I remember they took us, like, ice skating or something the day of the Super Bowl, and we didn't even see the first quarter of the game. Like, you know, like, it was like, I didn't even care. We didn't care. I went with my parents. I went with my uncle that didn't even care about sports. So I remember watching, getting to, like, my house, and, you know, my parents and everyone watching, and, like, everybody going crazy about Doug Williams. And I remember being like, you know, and then we only rooted for him because what Denver had done to the Browns two weeks beforehand. Yeah, um, you know, of, of late, uh, I usually watch the Super Bowl. I'm going to admit, sometimes I have football fatigue and I get into the sauce and I don't remember much of the Super Bowl. <laughs> like, this year I made the choice to go to place A over place B because I know myself and I know at place A the game wasn't going to get watched. So, <laughs> Right, right, right. There, there, there might be other circumstances involved in that decision, but it's just frankly how it is. I expect a really good game. Um, I couldn't make a prediction right now with, with any bit of certainty. I mean, obviously, you look at Patrick Mahomes, and it would be hard, hard, hard to pick against him. But I just think Shanahan is going to have these guys super prepared, and I think they can play keep away to an extent. And if the defense can make a couple plays, you know, I don't I don't see Kansas City running up 38, 42 points. I could be wrong again. I, I have been before. So, um, you know, I'm looking forward to the chess match. You have re- two really yeah. good play designers and play callers. You have two teams that have obviously been hot. And in sticking with the Glory Days theme, I kind of feel like I should have gone back to the beginning of the month when someone posted the picture on Twitter of the 49ers end zone and they went to the classic scheme. If you're around our age and you saw that, you should have known right there that the Niners were going to win the NFC championship. Yep, 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 yep. I I totally agree. The chess match of this matchup, to me, is phenomenal. Um, I think as a storyteller – I think the, the, the roles and the stories you can tell are, are great as well because um, whether you've, you've been a Philadelphia Eagles fan or a KC Chiefs fan, um, the Andy Reid factor of this game I think is huge, uh, not just because he is, but he just he, he comes off as um, he comes off as your roly-poly uncle, you know, the, the fun uncle that you go have, hang out with that, you know, you can eat all the donuts you want with and everything else. But the guy has been now. a <laughs> – yeah, right. But he's been an unbelievable offensive mastermind. Um, the what he's been able to do, you think, like I think of some of the offensive years and some of the offenses he's had, um, going all the way back to what he did with Donovan McNabb, um, how he took on T.O. and took him to the Super Bowl that year, and then T.O. or uh, breaks his leg. Um, that was the last time he was there. Then he loses his son, um, which was an awful year. And, you know, the Michael bringing Michael Vick back, which I know some people, some activists want to get in line and yell with Peter right now, but um, it was a second chance and it was a great story. Maybe one of the best offenses ever. 
um, at one time before that. And just what he did with Alex Smith and now what he's done with Mahomes, um, I just find his journey to be pretty neat, to be pretty cool, um, no matter who he's had, you know, whether he's using Brian Mitchell or whether he's using uh, Kareem Hunt or whether he's using guys we've never heard of at running back. I just love how creative he is. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if he's creative enough against this front, this front four for the, the 49ers. And we can talk about Shanahan and, and all this other stuff. But, you know, for once, a team took advantage of picking high in the draft and didn't say, well, we already got one of those. And they just kept taking the best player. Um, the 49ers did not have to take Boza, number two overall in the draft a year ago, right? Um, they had D Ford. They had, you know, you just look at the guys they had up front, Armstead. Like, they got all these first-round picks, but they said, Bose is the best player on, uh, you know, that we have on our list. We're taking him. Uh, and it's made their, they're made their defensive line dynamic. Um, I love how they play. I like how both these teams play. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. Um, the Mahomes part of the story is huge to me as well, only because leading up to the draft, and, and you know this better than anybody listening, um, I got to get some intel a little bit on Mahomes because of my baseball job um, and got to like kind of interview him and help them prepare him for the combine. And it's, um, it's just been really cool to watch what he's become. I can say this, Josh Tomlin was probably the biggest Patrick Mahomes fan um, that, that's out there. And at the time, I remember when he was at Texas Tech, Josh Tomlin, who pitched for the Indians, former Texas Tech pitcher himself, went to the same high school as Mahomes went to. And I'll never forget, he pitched the day of the draft, of the NFL draft. And he told me, Zach, up and down, they better take, talking about the Browns, they better take Mahomes. They better take him. He'd be the best thing that they've had since Bernie Kosar or whoever the hell was their quarterback when they won games. Josh Tomlin's quote. So the draft starts, Tomlin being a good baseball player and a good teammate didn't uh, watch on my iPhone or my, you know, like everybody else does. Waits till the game's over, gets out of the game. I, you know, I go into the clubhouse, we're talking about whatever, and he yells at me, Dre, who took Pat? Who took Pat? And when I told him it wasn't the Browns, I'll never forget Josh Tomlin going, well, they're just going to be fucking losers again for 15 more years. <laughs> and everyone kind of chuckled, and he didn't. And you got to know Tomlin to know his sense of humor. But his sense of humor was real. He was like, look, this kid is going to be legit. He's like, I've known him since he was 15 years old. He could have been a starting shortstop in the big leagues. He can be a quarterback. He's smart. He's going to work his ass off. I've watched him work out. Um, and it was just cool to see a big league. And, and like, look, we know how, how sports go, and we all have this. Guys that, that are from our high school, guys that are from, you know, where we're from, you pull for a little bit more. But I've never seen a big leaguer um, – just be so in a guy's corner the way Tomlin was for Mahomes and to watch Mahomes become everything Josh Tomlin told me and do it so quickly. Um, I know it's cool for the people in that little Texas area that they're from. Uh, and I know Josh Tomlin can't wait till, you know, six o'clock on Sunday to root for him um, because that kid has been phenomenal. And it's crazy because all the stories this week are, you know, hearing how their GM now, not John Dorsey, but the GM they have now, you know, saw, you know, saw Mahomes play his sophomore year and was like, that's our quarterback. And how they, you know, prepared to get him and they got him. And three years in, we're talking about him being the best player in the NFL. Um, that's unbelievable to me, but it's really, a, it's a really cool story. Senior Bowl bar discussion. Patrick Mahomes over under three and a half Super Bowls. Not win, just win. You would think, when you look at the landscape of the AFC, that he can do over three, right? You would think well, right. because of his youth, 
You know, I mean, when you um, also you have to you have to be realistic and look at the incredible careers that Drew Brees has had, that Aaron Rodgers has had, right? right. That Ben Roethlisberger's had. Four is a lot, a lot, right? Oh, it's a ton. But, You're right. You're right. Yeah, I mean, it, it's way too early to crown him anything, but it's not too early to say there's a chance that this guy is the best to ever play. Yeah, no, it definitely is. And you know the, the crazy thing is, I think is Cliff Kingsbury was his coach at Texas Tech, right? And yes. Cliff, and Cliff, I just right, and Cliff had just been the offensive coordinator at Texas A&M before he went to Texas Tech. The reason why he wanted Patrick Mahomes so bad was because he had just got done using Johnny Manziel at A&M, and it hit him that he wanted somebody that was athletic, that could ha- that that could run that offense. But they were no they no longer wanted the guys that just threw sideways. They wanted a guy that could run that offense with a big arm and athletic, a la Johnny Manziel. That's how you get this guy at <laughs> at Texas Tech and how he becomes who he is because of Johnny Manziel, basically. Yeah, and you know, credit to the Chiefs connection. for credit to the Chiefs for, you know, not only going to get him and really laying their balls on the table, right? And then I mean they fired the GM right. two months later. But um you know, knowing that that he would benefit from sitting, right? He played one game as rookie. Right. You know, um, right. Creating that environment from saying ten and six and eleven and five as we've been and losing in the second round is not good enough. We need to go do this, and they did it. And now they're think about the patience. Think about the right. But yeah. I'm glad you said that, and I'll let you get back. Remember what you're saying. But think about the patience they had in this era to go out and get this kid tenth in the draft knowing he's got this phenomenal arm and everything else, and they did not rush him. They let Alex Smith, as you just said, play that entire season. Alex Smith was the greatest, like, just the substitute teacher ever as he helped them learn. And look what the payoff is in being patient and not forcing the quarterback on the field before he's ready. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's uh, – there, there's something to be said for having your organization on the same page. So – Absolutely. That's all we can Absolutely. say. Absolutely. So speaking of baseball I, yeah. players in Texas, uh, one thing that broke while you were on vacation that we have not talked about because of the circumstances, uh, multiple circumstances, and I think the Kobe circumstances <laughs> are why this feels like the most muted Super Bowl in many years. Yeah, no doubt. Um, we have not discussed the Astros and the punishments and the no. ring of cheating um, and, and yeah. all that came with it. And I know – that you were quick to talk about it when it happened in the series against the Indians two years ago, you know, when they were basically caught red handed taking pictures or something like that from what? Yeah. Right. Um, you know, at the time it was like, okay, this happened, this people know, and there's many layers of this story. So I'll quit rambling, but, um, I'm going to guess as tied into baseball as you were that maybe there weren't a lot of people stunned by this revelation broken by the athletic might I add. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I tell you what, baseball is so old school and so beautiful that it is old school. Um, but it still has some of these I don't, archaic thought processes to how what you do say and what you don't say and how you protect each other and how you have each other's back. That Mike Byers, the guy that went out and kind of finally it, – it's not a secret in the industry that the Houston Astros pushed the limits. And I think I said that right away on our podcast a couple of years ago when you're talking about it. And I didn't feel like I spoke out of turn. Felt like what I was saying, I was allowed to say because 
well, number one, I'm not a major league player. Um, and it's their domain, but I saw enough, heard enough, was around enough. We, you knew, you knew when you went to that ballpark that there are things going on that aren't going on in other ballparks. I've heard a ton of people. I know that the person that's doing play by play for the, the Super Bowl this week. Um, and I'm not going at him, but he said himself just two days ago, he feels like it's more than just one team that's, that's doing what Houston was doing. And he may be right. Um, but I can tell you the sophistication of what Houston was doing. I can tell you the team I'm around and the teams that, that I'm the, the ballparks that I go to all the time uh, in the AFC Central, AFC Central, in the AL Central. Um, they weren't doing what Houston is doing. Um, and, and and like I said, you went to Houston and it was like going to New England. I know one of our listeners kind of tweeted me something like like that when they went off the story. I told him when we were in you know New England and. And Willie McGinnis, you know, telling everybody, erase everything on the board, take all your shit, because they're going to look at it and find it. And it was a little bit like that in Houston. Um, and because of the relationships I have with certain Indians, certain pitchers, um, the, I think the weird thing was you knew that they were, they were doing something. You couldn't pinpoint exactly how they were doing it. Um, I thought it was weird that you got guys attacking Mike Fires for telling the truth. Um, but I know what Mike Clevenger said afterwards, and I don't know how much you heard of it, but he did it on Momentum, the, the place that Trevor Bauer has for media now. Um, but he said something that, that made me that, – that, it pissed me off because it, it sucked because you had a good team losing. You know, look, they've got great players, the Astros, and they can win without all the bullshit. And I think that was the main thing I kept hearing from so many Indians players was that they lost a lot of respect to that team because they were good enough to win – without all the other bullshit that they were doing. Yeah. All right, so but I can so tell you this questions quote. I Go have ahead. about this. And I, I don't know that you've talked to guys directly or whatever. I mean, it's, it's these teams' job, and, and, and they pay guys to find every advantage you can. So there is a line. There's never a hard yeah. line, I guess, right? But right. from the penalties, and obviously it's extended to other teams and other managers getting fired, um, it was determined that this was way over the, the gaining of, of right. advantage, right? Right. No doubt. I'm, I'm glad you put it that way because the lines of cheating and pushing the envelope in baseball have always been a tad zigzagged. Um, right. If I'm at second base and I can see your signs um, and my hitter wants to know, the game has always said that was okay. Um, it's never been okay for a batter to look back while the catcher's doing a sign and try to figure out what's coming. Yeah. The way baseball's always gone is if you try to do that, you're going to get it between your, your eyes. Right. You don't do that. Um, there's a lot of unwritten rules. It makes baseball stupid at times, in my opinion, the way they have all these unwritten rules. But there are some rules, and you just don't disrespect it. But the thing I wanted to say about Clevenger, who was pissed, and I can't do the money scale right now of what it, the difference of a double-A guy, triple-A guy, and a big leaguer is, but – I would say a kid make kid playing double A baseball is probably making twenty grand. A guy playing big league playing triple A ball, um, probably forty five fifty. And I may be I may be exaggerating that a tad. Yeah. Uh, the minimum at the big league level is almost five hundred thousand. So when Mike Clevenger went off and Clev try and look, I can tell you this, Clev won't be. I'm pretty sure Clev won't be pissed that I'm saying this. Clev tried to fight Gary Pettis Senior, and Alex Bregman. Uh, after game three, like on the field, Bregman looked over and smiled, and he said, "Fuck you! Don't ever smirk at me. You know you're a cheating motherfucker." And he goes, "And you know, and you know that if you ever see me somewhere, I'm gonna beat the shit out of you, you cheating piece of shit scumbag." 
and Bregman just put his head down and wouldn't look back over at the Indians' dugout. Um, the Indians obviously knew. But what Clevenger said a couple days ago, and I wholeheartedly agree with them, it is so hard for so many guys to get to the big leagues. Mm-hmm. And like Clev said, he had to stay at his parents' house in the offseason. And he told me, you know how embarrassing it is to go tell friends or see friends that are like, oh, you got drafted. You know, you're, you're, you're major, you're, you got drafted by a major league team. He goes, and until you get to the big leagues, he goes, and you put everything into your craft. He goes, I had to live with my parents in the offseason. You know, you know how much that sucks? That I didn't have enough money. And he goes, and these guys ruined guys' careers. There are guys, and, and I know the Athletic has done a good job and other newspapers have done this, but there's a ton of young pitchers that came up from AAA and they had their cup of coffee and they got their tits lit up uh, in, in Houston and they never got an opportunity again. And the Clevens are into a lot of young guys. That is not how the brotherhood of baseball is supposed to work. So that's what pisses off a lot of guys. The other thing is this, and I'll say it, and I'm not saying it because he's been traded away, but Corey Kluber is the one where I knew something bad was happening. Because Kluber, matter of fact, like three years ago, simply said to me when, when, when we knew that something else was going on, Kluber said something so simple, so Kluberish, that you knew it was true. He basically said, I don't have the direct quote, but he said to me, and it was with myself, Tomlin, and maybe Jan Gomes, he goes, I know something is going on because I've never seen a team lay off my curveball or slider the way this team lays off my curve and slider when we're in this ballpark. And now it's – I mean, we they, and, and here's the thing. They got busted with the whole trash can thing. That's not all that they've done. They were an organization that – and for better or worse, and I'm not killing them, they were a balls-to-the-wall organization, Zach. And it's kind of come out in the last six months. They kind of didn't put any restraints or rules upon their organization and how to win, whether it was through technology, whether it was physical. There's other things. Trevor Bauer is, is, is hinted at other things that the pitchers are doing to get their spend rates up. Not my place to, to tell what he thinks is going on. That'll come in due time. I think the Houston Astros are a bunch of cheaters. I think the, the, the repercussions that have come down, $5 million to a billionaire business that won a World Series, went to back-to-back World Series, is nothing. Uh, getting rid of their, their manager kind of sucks. Getting rid of their GM probably is your $5 million right there. I think MLB went light on the punishment for what they were truly doing to a game um, that's kind of lost its integrity again, and it's gonna it's gonna be a it's gonna fall down on the rest of us, um, and and the rules and how the game is played uh, because of what the Astros were doing, and they were doing it so haphazardly, uh, not paying attention or not giving a shit about the brotherhood of the game. So, Clev, if you're listening, my parents have a great basement. Stop over sometime. My dad's a great cook. Got plenty of room down there. Um, <laughs> one, one, one other thing that I wanted to say um, about the implications, and you mentioned, I, I mean, I'm sure MLB, at least publicly, is going to, I mean, the other guys have gotten fired, and there's going to be changes that are going to, I think some of them we'll hear about and some of them we won't, right? Mm-hmm. But right. that's the public side. What about, like, just in general, like, I've always believed, Dre, that you'll never hear an SEC school turn in another SEC school for cheap. Why? Yeah. Just don't throw stones if you live in a glass house. And I'm not saying exactly. the Indians cheat or the Pirates cheat or the Mariners cheat or whatever. All right? I'm just saying I think maybe the game has changed forever off of this. That's uh, – I'm glad you bring that up because that's been the hard part about this. 
Um, I know Trevor Bauer didn't always want to say a, a lot of stuff about what certain guys are putting on their hands as pitchers, uh, you know, to increase the spin rate because he, as he told me one time, because if I tell him on the other team, I'm telling on our team. Because, you know, there's certain guys that put tarn, you know, pine tar on their fingers to, to get to help them get a better hold on the ball. You know, you find a subject, you know, a substance to help the ball stick in your hand a little bit better. So on one hand, he hated it, but on the other hand, he couldn't say anything because, well, you don't want to tell your own teammates. But I think this was different. And I think that's the hard thing for everybody to take in in baseball, um, what the Astros were doing. Uh, I mean, when we were in the playoffs just a couple of years ago, uh, I'll never forget Underwood and I on TV were having to do stand-ups and wearing shirts and ties and we're sweating through our shirts. Why? Because the Astros kept the building closed during batting practice for the Indians, didn't turn on the air conditioning, made us sweat our asses off, didn't play music, and then as soon as we were done, they opened up the thing and turned on the air conditioning. Like, and, and those are kind of things that you chuckle about. And you're kind of like, ah, you know, that's just baseball being baseball. Or that's sport. And that goes back to our Walsh Jesuit story, you know, where they wet the field Chris and slow down. Yeah, one of the all-time yeah, yeah. glory days stories. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, like, and it's legitimate. Like, and I laugh at those type of things. But that was kind of the Astros. It was always something. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was like not only are they probably, you know, do they have cameras probably in your dugout and they got cameras, you know, in on your catcher. But they're also – it was so in some ways, some of the things they did you kind of tipped your hat to – because you knew they would go to all ends to win. On the other hand, they went too far. <laughs> and, well, you know, right. So, like, yeah, like you, you mentioned the Patriots thing, and that was my first thought, too. Like, to me, that's always going to be a part of their legacy. They got caught red-handed, right? And there's a chance right. they didn't know 100% of it. But on the other hand, from a competitive advantage, like you talked about going there, like that's what you're supposed to do is get any competitive advantage. And if you think that other team – spending 10 minutes on worried, you know, making a fake whiteboard, yep. then you've won those 10 minutes, right? Yeah. Like, um, you know, when they supposedly would do things like shut down the communication play system for three seconds and, and it'd go right back on, but just to make the other team freak out. Like, I don't right. know. That's Sounds huge. like an unwritten rule to me, and baseball is supposedly this game written on unwritten rules. Right. And, it, and it's brilliant. I mean, and this has happened since the beginning of sports. And I think that's the hard – and I remember – I remember I had a, I had some baseball people and some people that don't know baseball when when the Indians first caught them a couple of years ago they're like ah oh, that's baseball baseball make people cheat in baseball and I remember thinking to myself and I had to really question myself because there are a lot of people who are like ah them taking pictures into the dugout to know the signs that's not a big deal and it was like mm, and I kept thinking to myself I think this is a big deal yeah. but the Astros had what you just brought up. They had you when you went to Houston. You had to you had to do your signs over. You had to you had to have double signs. You had to you you know you did you had to change indicators. You had to talk to your players about certain like you had to take an extra twenty twenty five minutes prepared to take on the Astros that you didn't have to when you were taking on the Tigers or the A's or the Red Sox. That is a competitive advantage like no other. Uh, And and I, I saw it happen. It's it's crazy. And I. Does this smear what the Astros did to win the World Series? I don't know. But like you said about the Patriots, it's definitely going to be a part of their story going forward. And I'll say this. I just, I just think they're going to find out more things about what they've done in the near future because this wasn't the only thing that they were doing. Yeah, that certainly will be interesting. Um, and this certainly was a black eye for the, for the game of baseball. Now, you know, it was in the offseason. Um, it's something that went away. I think baseball is always – a sport that has its fans, it has its purists. Nobody's ever going to win the, the standard arguments we have every year about baseball anyway, right? I don't think – I can't right. sit here and say this is something that's going to cripple the game, right? 
the game has no. its own pluses and its own warts outside of this. But, yeah, I mean, that's what came to me is like, okay, on a local level for years and years and years and, and to play more glory days here. You went to Maslin. You were playing Maslin. You were playing the yep, players. You are playing the live tiger, the fireworks in the end zone by American Fireworks. You're playing the six officials. And you're playing the wackos yep. who will run on the field and attack the officials if they don't give them the calls, right? So you right. knew that coming in. If it's a three point game here, we got no chance. We got beat this team, yep. right? Like, exactly, <laughs> exactly. That's true. And I hope all masculine fans that are listening, that is exactly what we were told on a bus before we left. Like you knew that you were up against, and, and people said the same thing about going to St. V and playing football at St. V. Right. That you had to beat. You had to beat West Market Street. You had to beat the bar behind West, either the Diamond Grill. You had to beat the officials. Yeah, right. And then you had to beat a good team. And all those like, officials have died, like, but now they recruit new players at halftime. So. <laughs> Stop. Um, <laughs> here's the thing with baseball. Last thing I'll say. Um, I think the one thing that I think that, that kind of jumps out to this is that baseball and trying to keep up with technology. You know, baseball is this 100, you know, 200-year-old game. And technology is, is, is at a pace right now that's blowing people out of the out of the water, right? And baseball is just trying to do what every other sport is doing, is be technology-based and using technology. And what happens? The baseball players go, give me all this technology, and I'm going to show you how to cheat. That's how competitive sports are, though, right? Like, like oh, you can give us these TVs, live TVs, in our dug- like right next to our dugout, and you think we ain't going to use them? Right. So, like, on one hand, I get it. Like, that's the game. Like, like you got all these really intelligent guys, and coaches, and, and and guys within your, you know, and scouts. Like there's been scouts' jobs for years to try to figure out signs and trigger, try to figure out when guys throw certain pitches. And suddenly you're going to give me live television, and you're going to give me computers, and you're going to give me all this fucking equipment that I can break stuff down. And you didn't think they were going to take advantage of it? Yeah. That's so, where I think baseball's got its toughest, its yeah. toughest road to hoe. I mean, I'll just tell you guys. You this, do need to use this from firsthand experience, like. Every NFL team has people, you know, that are then in the production business, not the football business, that run the scoreboard and the game day presentation. And and thousands, if not millions of dollars are devoted to this, right? But game day comes, there's a football person that sits in there to make sure they're not showing the replay that could be detrimental to their team. Or to make sure that they're instantly showing a replay that could help their team, right? Coordinate that. And there's reasons I don't believe the Patriots for one second – when they got busted in Cleveland this year, because I know what it's like to work for a team TV show, and there is no reason that you would need eight minutes of B-roll of team assignment. No, you would need fifty no, seconds no, no. at most because you were going to use twenty seconds at most. Right? Exactly. Yeah, you've never watched a documentary where they show eight minutes straight of guys on the sideline. That was the biggest crock of you know what of all time. It really was. Yes, they were cheating. Yes, they were up to something. There's no doubt at all but that's the edge that comes with playing the patriots right like you said and there's other teams that do shit. all they're like not all teams have something um they do it's just it's how it is um you know the funny thing to me is and i hate to attack players but the only guy that kind of grinds my gears on this would be um verlander how many years did verlander swear the indians were cheating and they were picking up signs to rock his ass when he was with detroit he goes over to Houston, wins the World Series, becomes Cy Young again, and we haven't heard a word from him about all the cheating that yeah. the team he was on was doing. Yeah, and, you know, that Altuve video made its rounds quickly, and that's what happens in 2020. Um, and I wasn't really sure, you know, how to judge that, even though it looked pretty damning. Because I've learned, 
because there's lots of times I've been right on things and there's been times I've been wrong on things, right? And that's why you can't make yeah. an argument in your goddamn life, <laughs> right? But true. a few true, days true. later when they did their fan fest or wherever he was kind of down and, they, and he was asked about it, he basically said the time is not right to talk about it. He might as well have said I'm guilty as hell. Right, 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 right. exactly. And that's like when I would get my uh, my report cards home and I would try to tell my dad, I don't think this is a good time to talk about it right now. We can talk about it later. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, right. it's, it was, it was, it was, let me prepare my defense. Let me prepare my, plea right, 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 <laughs> yeah, that was uh, embarrassing and it made a lot, and I know it even made my wife mad. She was like, cause you know, you know, the, you know how wives are, she's instantly like, she's like, why did you just come out and apologize and say you did it? This is worse than, a, than, a, than admitting it. And I go, yeah, I go, it's true. And even Bregman was bad. He was like, you know, the Astros and MLB have made their decision. We're going to stick by it and move on. Like the answers were very just, we got caught. <laughs> like, what are we going to do next? We move on. All right, couple um, quick things. You know, I think, uh, well, let me, this is quick. I want to say this quickly. Quickly, okay. I want to say, MLB put their rules down. And, you know, and they, they, they slapped their, you know, $5 million and this and that on them. I will be very interested to see how, because the one thing about baseball, and even in basketball, we saw it last night um, with Jake, with Jacques Crowder getting pushed into the first row of the Knicks game because he's still in the ball and trying to shoot three-pointers under 50 seconds left in the game. Bush League, we all know you just don't do that type of shit, even though it's the Knicks, and the Knicks are that – was, that was the most aggressive we've seen the Knicks all year long. Um, but, but despite that, um, the crazy thing and the great thing about professional sports, whether it be football, baseball, or basketball, and even in high school levels, if, you, if you're coached right, is the game usually takes care of the game, right? The players take care of it. I am very interested to see how the Astros get pitched to in spring training. You may see a couple guys get them hard. Like, I don't think during the regular season it will happen, but I can see during spring training Altuve and Bregman having to duck a lot is all I'll say. I like that. I like and, that. Um, all right, so a couple quick shouts here. I, I, re- I got about five minutes. Um, okay. My brother's team is 15-4, and four, uh, the UPG Bobcats. Those of you who followed along on Twitter and sent good vibes, appreciate it. I've been able to get out there. Uh, the last couple of Saturdays, um, you know, he so they, they got beat last night. They had four looks in the last 22 seconds. They didn't go in. They lost by a bucket. And so he's pouting like they're four and 15. Um, but I want to shout out them as they get ready for the stretch run. And then uh, one of my other good friends, Mike Fuline, who is the head coach of Mount Union, his son is little Mikey of milkshake and A to Z fame. Yeah. Uh, his dad's Playing been going you, through some treatments for some things. And Papa Fueline is a, a Manchester legend, a Mount Union legend, and a legend in general. So I wanted to send good vibes to him. And then the most important Super Bowl question, Dre, as we get out of here, has nothing to do with Patrick Mahomes versus Richard Sherman or Raheem Mostert versus Frank Clark. It's what are you going to be eating <laughs> on Sunday? Oh, man. Well, I got to tell you. The Sabos text me something that has me because uh, they're wild people over our house. We always do, and it's changed a little bit now that we all got kids, but it's still a lot of fun. Um, I gotta find this text. Um, the Sabos have told us they're bringing jalapeno artichoke dip, so that'll be. I'll, I'll have a couple different uh, buffalo dips, uh, wings. But you know, let me let me quali- qualify this. My college roommate, who's actually coming over to my house this weekend, uh, he's from Brooklyn, New York, and I'll never forget. The year the Dirty Birds, the Dirty Brooklyn, Brooklyn. (laughs) the year that the year the Falcons played Denver, I think, when Jamal Anderson was doing the Dirty Bird, not doing eight balls off the lines of uh, in the back of a bathroom, uh, like he allegedly was caught doing a couple of years ago. Um, I'll never forget that in that Super Bowl, 
We there's a chicken place in Kent that we ordered just all the chicken and all the pizza. You could, that, you know, surprise, surprise. And my roommate Nick at the time, still one of my best friends, he took actual flat chicken wings and put them on white Wonder Bread and made chicken wings uh, sandwiches. It was the most ridiculous Sounds thing. Hard, all- Screw <laughs> 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 Popeyes and their screw Popeyes and their chicken sandwich. That was the first original chicken sandwich that I had ever seen. So you know the basics. I can't wait to eat wings. I can't like, and I've been eating pretty good this off season. Um, but everything that I've ate really well that's been very positive for my life out the window on Sunday. So yeah, I would have to say. All the different dips, whether it be like like cheese dips, fondue, um, uh, that's where I can't look for. Can't wait till till Sunday. All right. So in Mobile for the Senior Bowl, I had my first Popeyes chicken sandwich. I give it the highest recommendation. Um, yes. I'm, I'm told they won't sell you more than three of them here, though. So I can't say that I'm bringing that to the party on Sunday. Um, that's BS. I've bought four or five at a time, but I, you know, well, you just got to know the right people. Uh, Never mind. Um, <laughs> um, I will probably go Barbara and Chicken, the Drumettes. Shout out White House. I know you've been to uh, one right by your house. <laughs> yes, Uncle Mike. Uh, we'll have some of our, Yeah, we'll have uh, we'll have some of those in my house on Sunday. Yeah, <laughs> hey, anyway, guys, um, we appreciate you listening. We appreciate you uh, quick. Liking our, I got one quick thing. Yep. one quick thing. I'm my bad for everything else, but I got to do this. Um, I'm very excited for something on TV today, and I know you should be too. Your favorite quick Michael Vick story, because they're doing the Michael Vick uh, 30 for 30 starts tonight. Oh, yeah. And I can't wait. Oh, my favorite Michael Vick story. I, to me, it's just that Sugar Bowl where they were just down, and he just all yeah. of a sudden got him back in the game. I mean, he, he, he went on to do incredible things at the NFL level, and everybody knows his story, but that to me was like, oh, my God. And that's when you realized that this guy was going to break the mold and, and go number one in the draft. Him versus Florida State. It was unbelievable. Yep. Florida State had like Florida State had like twenty All Americans and Virginia Tech we had never seen in a game. Virginia Tech had big. Ben Taylor from Bel Air, Ohio. Right. Yes. They had been I and I his teammate I was at Kent with from Bel Air. Yep. Jose Davis. And I remember all of us just going, What is like Michael Vick was like and I and this makes me feel old because in ninety seven, ninety eight when that happened, we had never seen anything and I don't think people and people our age get it. But if you're 10, 15 years younger than us and you know Michael Vick from, from the video game or you know Michael Vick from the dog bang or you know Michael Vick from play, Dude, there was nothing like that first time you watched him at Virginia Tech and he was playing Florida State. Your mouth just dropped for, 40, for four hours straight because yep. we had never seen an athlete like this get to touch the ball on every play. So it was I'm phenomenal. behind on my 30 for 30s. I, I have, uh, you know, you keep them on the DVR or whatever. Um, yeah. And you can watch them now on ESPN Plus, at least most of them. But this is one. Uh, I'm going to the YSU basketball game tonight, so I won't see it. But this is one I will watch before the weekend is out. I won't stash it in the folder like the other ones. That's for sure. Right, and I want to say it's a two. It's a two for. I think it's a two yeah, or three of them. So, yeah, I, I did see the commercial the other day. Uh, I got to admit, Dre, I, you know, the days of me just casually having ESPN on are mostly past. I know. Right, Twitter's me changed. too. The world's me too. changed that. Yeah. This week with the Kobe coverage and the Super Bowl coverage. Um, you know, if I've been sitting around writing or just in general dicking around, I've, I've had it on more over the last four days than, than I have in the last three years, probably. I am in the same boat, the same boat. I just don't watch it the same. Hey, thank you guys. I don't know if you guys saw it. If you're not on Twitter or whatever else, or however you guys follow us, 
Um, I know that the good people over at Scene Magazine, one of our sponsors, someone that's to settled it down with us for a long time. We existed before we came to here, but um, they've helped, helped us grow. Um, I don't know how this thing works. We're not the most advanced when it comes to technology and all that, but to hear the number that there's been over a million people that have downloaded the agency podcast, um, we say thank you. We appreciate it. Um, this is a lot of fun for us. We know that we always don't talk about stuff or things that make you happy or things that make you guys like us, uh, but we appreciate everyone that's taking the time out at least once uh, to download and listen to us go back and forth and have conversations that we would have whether we had microphones or earplugs in our ears uh, or not. Um, it's been a really cool uh, uh, ride uh, and a ride that I think we both expect to continue along. So here's to a million and here's to a million more. We appreciate you guys. From the bottom of our cold hearts, I echo what Dre said. Thank you to every one of you. Uh, here's to a million more, a million more downloads, a million more Popeye's chicken sandwiches. We'll talk to you soon.